you know, when I first got into uh, entheogens and the power of entheogens, you know, I had a long history of working with the Native American community in Washington state, you know, and I wanted to go to the tribes and be like, oh my God, you guys, you should be using these plant medicines. Like they don't know, right? They, they've been using these plant medicines since the dawn of time, but to go to them and be like, instead of these 12 step that I had seen forced on them working at Seattle Indian Health Board, that wasn't working for these folks, right? And, and they still were lost and they still were stuck. I thought, let's talk about, you know, this other route, this natural healing route. Welcome to the Way of the Healer Conversations for Change podcast. I'm your host, Darieth Chisholm. Here, you'll meet some of the world's most extraordinary thought leaders and experts, iconic artists and creators, top performing athletes, successful entrepreneurs, philanthropists, spiritual teachers, shamans, healers, and many, many more. They sit with me, an Emmy award-winning TV host and former news anchor turned filmmaker and life and business coach for some powerful conversations for change. What are these conversations about? Healing. Healing. Healing all aspects of our mind, body, soul, spirit, this planet, each other, and the systems and structures we're currently living in. You'll learn about topics like plant medicine and psychedelics, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, conscious communication, the new earth, quantum leaping, multidimensional living, pleasure, play, and sexuality, breath work, sound healing, food and supplements, and ah, there's just so much. You're just going to need to subscribe to the channel and listen. Come with me now behind the curtain to get the backstory on how and why these remarkable people heal themselves and others, how they lead, what makes them tick, what lights them up, gets them down, keeps them going, and what they believe is the way of the healer. So let's go. On today's episode, you will meet Leonora Russell. Leo is a licensed mental health therapist and substance use disorder professional in the state of Washington. She's worked for 20 years with the state's most vulnerable populations in child welfare and voluntary commitment, public defense, harm reduction groups, family treatment court, and Native American justice projects. She runs the legal psilocybin effort for Washington state and is author of several books. She previously developed and led Decrim Nature Seattle, which was at the time the largest decriminalization effort in any city in the world. And she now leads Entheo Society, which is focused on plant medicine education and community building in Washington state and beyond. And our Conversations for Change, this episode is simply, simply, simply worth listening to. We talk a lot about mental health and support for those most vulnerable and in need for services and solutions. Entheogens and plant medicine use and the lack thereof in Native American communities and indigenous communities in the US. Entheogenic feminism, what it is and why Leo says it's the way of healers. Her 24 hour online events called Entheos Society and why she says leading with your woundedness and pain will help you to lead more effectively. So stay with us and let's go. Plant medicine, psychedelics, and cannabis have really helped me deepen my meditation practice and morning routine. And while you don't necessarily need our plant natural allies to assist you in meditation, 
I find that with meditation, I'm able to have more clarity, direction, purpose, and allow divine guidance and wisdom to flow through me. Stillness and quieting the mind allows you to access more of who and what you truly are. And that's where you can activate more creative expression and fulfillment of your dreams. As a gift to you, my friends, I've designed a special high-frequency activation to help you encode, embrace, and elevate your consciousness to ignite your creativity and passion. It's free and available for a limited time. Go to dariuth.com forward slash meditations to receive a guided meditation series with journal prompts and attuned high-frequency sound waves. That's dariuth.com forward slash meditations. All right, everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of The Way of the Healer, Conversations for Change. And this one, no doubt, will be one that you're going to want to listen to until the entire end. You heard my fabulous introduction for Leo, and she joins us now on our podcast. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I know we're going to get into a lot of conversations around psychedelics, um, decriminalization, conversations that are being had in the community, but I'd love to start with this, and that would be, what are you most excited about that's happening in the psychedelic space right now, and what are you most concerned about? Um, can we start with what I'm concerned about? Sure. Um, I think we are bringing this old culture, you know, this old broken culture into this sacred space. And this sacred space are these plant medicines that have been used since the dawn of time. They just haven't been used in our um, our current consciousness, but they're part of our history and part of our religion. So it's ancient knowledge, but how we are bringing that back into uh, common use or common understanding is with these traipsings of this old culture that we've had for the past, you know, couple thousand years and um, or more in terms of the, the patriarchal culture or the capitalist culture or the colonialist culture, whatever you want to call it. And so with that comes a lot of greed and a lot of um, grabbing for power and a lot of um, men who are kind of the, the boys at the table that are kind of controlling things and the venture capitalists. And I think with that comes a lot of concerns that are very valid, which is concerns that are uh, parallel and mirrored in other communities that have been disenfranchised, which is, you know, the cannabis industry and who's been affected by who, uh, legalization and who's been affected by incarceration and who's been affected by opportunity. And so we're kind of seeing the same trends of, of women not being um, at the table of power or um, disenfranchised groups not being at the table of power, people of color not being at the table of power, um, just a lot of classism. And so I wonder how we can be more holy and more conscious in terms of kind of holding the responsibility as sacred to bring these uh, plant medicines into our, our common everyday use um, in ways that acknowledge their power in responsible ways, but also that we um, want to create a new community, a new society with these plant medicines, which isn't really new, but to return to that and, and to return to the sacred means that we don't drag in the old. Where, where I'm excited is I see women like standing up, all types of women, disabled women, old women. You know, we have a lot of ageism in the society. We have a lot of racism in the society. So I see all types of women standing up and 
Um, you know, I struggle, I think, as a white woman that also has uh, Jewish ancestry that I see for waspy women, why they're kind of going towards the Republican Party is they see such women of strength standing up in the, uh, like in terms of what they're visually seeing. We're not seeing a, a white AOC, um, young, spirited politician out there. And so um, I just hope we see more and more of these women standing up from all walks of life um, to be our heroes, because I think eventually we will become as a society because we're becoming so intermixed kind of culturally and ethnically and so forth that I think as a diverse society, eventually we will progress to the point where we see role models in everyone. You know, you see a role model in a black gay man, even though you're a white heterosexual woman, like to just be that culturally uh, progressive. But I think as of right now, a lot of us are so image-based, we really need to see people that kind of look like us in those positions of power. Um, and so I'm just excited about like, I'm doing a men's talk with 24 hour men's talk. And someone said to me, well, why do you need a men's talk? And I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't think a lot of these men are enjoying the roles that they've been handed. You know, I don't think it's always done them a, a good service. And so to shine a light on the diversity of men out there in the psychedelic movement. So I, yeah. And I think that would be in fairness with all that you just said about really creating an inclusive space that allows all voices to be heard, and particularly those that have been marginalized and disenfranchised and not included in the past. Uh, if you were to only go down that that road and not include men in some form of a conversation, um, it would, would seem a little off kilter. Um, so before we dive into more conversations about women in the space, because I definitely wanna follow that, that thread, I do wanna ask the question, um, in reference to the, what you brought up at the very beginning, which is what it is that concerns you the most, is that we have we've we've lost, or we're losing, or or maybe not um, uh, exercising and keeping the sacredness in in what has been around for thousands of years, right? And it has just become this network of of, of men, for the most part, um, you know, who have had. Um, their their way in this space and have continued to do it and and taking that away. How do we change that? What what you know? I, I would think that we're not so far off from it that it can be changed. But like, what are some of the um, rudimentary things that can happen that would help to prevent any more harm or disenfranchising that's been happening, particularly to those in the indigenous communities? Well, I think upholding their voices, upholding their authentic voices, I think um, showing reverence and, and including those indigenous people in your area. I think a lot of grassroots movements will kind of sprinkle people of color or people of diversity at the end of their um, their experience of growing, right, kind of for the optics. But I think if we backtrack and kind of reinvent how we do grassroots activism, if we can start with people that are currently in the criminal justice system, if we can start with people that are indigenous in your area, you know, I'm fortunate enough to live in the Pacific Northwest. So here we have people on our board who are enrolled tribal members, who are active and respected and honored in their indigenous communities. Um, and so they are speaking for their communities. They are at the table of power, but I, I think we can always do better. Yeah, definitely. And I think in ways that you have working closely there in, in the Seattle, Washington area um, with uh, Entheo Society have created, if you will, a, a platform or one that, that people can look to model 
Um, if that were the case, how would they do that? And why is it important that there are grassroots organizations like these in various different communities, albeit underground, <laughs> but that it, it is beginning to be established? So I'm actually looking to take Entheo Society National and I'm encouraging people to start uh, little pocket organizations in their states, but we are an above ground 501c3 focused on education and community building. And so I think you can begin to have those, uh, those grassroots activism conversations like from the get go, which is are women in places of leadership? You know, are we doing self-examination around who is talking? I often um, uh, talk about how I want there to be a little ticker at the bottom of our Zoom calls that just kind of takes account of like, how many times are we hearing from each person? Do you know what I mean? In terms of the diversity of uh, who are we making space to listen to? You know, I think at every level we can kind of say, um, are there people that are differently able in our organization? Are there people who are currently struggling with poverty or chemical dependency that we are including in our organization who are struggling with mental health? Um, I just want to see all types of diversity. And in the Pacific Northwest, we have a very liberal pocket here in the in the Seattle area. And so I even have to push back with people that are extremely liberal about making room for Trump supporters in our organization and making room for people that um, really align themselves with the Republican Party in our organization are who are anti-vax or anti-COVID or have, you know, have different COVID theories in our organization, because I really want everyone to feel included. I don't think that we're going to get very far as a society if we're too much a homogenous group. We all need to be talking together. That's how we will achieve peace, I think. And, and ultimately, all of us want to live in a peaceful society. What brought you to the space? How did you start your plant medicine journey? So um, I had done psychedelics in college. I went to college in Massachusetts at Great Barrington, uh, Simons Rock College of Bard when I was 16 years old. Um, and I had, you know, normal uh, experiences of trying pot and, and trying uh psilocybin when i tried psilocybin i remembered a uh, childhood trauma that for me was very significant and i remember that it wasn't great and that it kind of opened up this whole pocket of sadness that i had suppressed from my life um i i later on tried psychedelics a little bit in my early 20s but when I got into my 30s, I joined an ayahuasca church that was legal here in the United States called the Santo Daime. Um, and even though I'm Jewish, I had um, I had become Jewish later in life. I had uh, been raised Christian with two uh, ministers as parents, um, but my mother's family was Jewish. I uh, I really enjoyed the community of the Santo Daime, and it allowed me an opportunity to do some deep healing over a custody battle that I that I was really struggling with. So I think that the experience with the ayahuasca is really kind of what broke through for me in terms of, I was a social worker working in Indian child welfare. I was also working in family treatment court. Um, I have about 20 years in government service, mental health, chemical dependency, Indian child welfare, Office of African-American Children's Services, cultural-based counseling, you know, you name it. Um, Office of Public Defense. And um, in, in my work, a lot of times I would see my, the parents on my caseload getting uh, criticized and penalized for doing drugs, even cannabis. And yet here I was able to trot off on the weekends and do my legal ayahuasca. So I think that's what originally, uh, that and seeing the inefficacy of the 12-step system that I was kind of uh, in the position of authority as a government figure holding over these parents' heads, 
brought my brought me to kind of like a breaking point where I, I said I wanted to be part of the decriminalization movement. And, and I also want it to be available in ways that are safe for everyone. That's interesting that you had a really narrow perspective on the work that you were doing in mental health and with various different families and communities and recognizing how the legal system um, penalized for certain uses. And here you are, you know, having these free-flowing experiences with ayahuasca um, and, um, and and seeing the benefit for yourself personally and, and maybe even frankly, though that being able to benefit these families, but then not having access to it, not being able to afford it, um, even know where to go, or even being compromised with the thought of, oh, that's not you know, that's drugs, that's devil worship, that's whatever comes in that blocks them from even opening up to what could be available to them. So how has your work changed now? And because I know that that's still, you're still very passionate about working uh, with psychedelics and mental health in certain communities, but how are you entertaining or having those conversations to, in, to we don't want to say invite people, <laughs> but educate people. How about that? Um, it's tough. And I feel like you have to be very, very creative. And so I also lead the uh, legalization effort ADAPT WAW for psilocybin in Washington state. We filed initiative 1886 last year and are going to refile again this year. Um, and that would be similar to 109 in Oregon in terms of trying to legalize. And, um, and when I try to describe to folks here in the Seattle area, I, I try to say to them, you know, it's not you that we're trying to convince to vote for drugs, right? A lot of the people who are liberal and in Seattle, they like drugs, right? So you're not, that's not the voter that you're trying to win over. And so when I think of the voter that I'm trying to win over, it's like my friend Renee, and she goes to a Black Baptist church here in Seattle, and she's the nicest, kindest woman and I've known her for years, but, you know, she thinks kind of all drugs are the same, right? I may never convince her, but the more I can send her like a video of like, she really cares about indigenous people, the more I can send her like a Reuben George video or this thing that my friend Jermaine did or whatever for people that she might be convinced by, like maybe a Mike Tyson video talking about the Bufo experience. But I think we have to think about, well, how do people learn? And sometimes people learn by hearing stories, you know, so the more you can do storytelling, that's a form of activism. Um, and, and teaching people in ways that, that appeal to them. I think it's about figuring out where people are at. If you don't understand where people are at, you can't reach them. And I would say that's the biggest challenge that the mental health um, crisis that we're under is, is that, right? Is really trying to figure out how to reach people and support them when either they're not open or they don't feel safe or they don't have access to certain things. And, you know, coming off of COVID um, and the high amounts of depression and, and suicidal incidents that we're seeing, juxtaposed to the research that and that we know has happened in the, with the use of psychedelics in those particular communities, um, it's like then now bridging, like making sure that people know that these things are aware and to be educated in spite of the backdrop of the oh, these are all drugs, these are illegal. That's a big challenge. And particularly for those that, um, you know, might be sailing down the pharmaceutical route to mental health. Yeah, it's been tough for me because, you know, right before I quit my job recently, you know, I was working with folks that were getting civilly committed and they were getting civilly committed under Ricky's law, which is a law in Washington state that allows you to be locked up if you're a danger to yourself or others with drugs or alcohol, right? 
So in a lot of ways, that's a war on the poor, right? Because a lot of us can hide our addictions, but the people on the street who are down here in, in the city center, you know, their addiction is out there for everyone to see and everyone to judge, right? So those folks get scooped up and they get thrown into the system, but a lot of times they just come out using at the same rate that they were using when they went in and they might overdose, right? Because they, they, they've been tapered off in the hospital setting. And so what's unfortunate is the only thing they are offered through that criminal justice system is the 12-step system or Suboxone, you know, a pharmaceutical route to fighting addiction. So you really see the pharmaceutical just kind of giant kind of controlling a lot of this. Um, and, you know, I do struggle with letting people know about the power of psychedelics because I have to respect that there's kind of two sides to the coin. When I was leading the decriminalization effort, I fully supported that. And then when I was leading the legalization effort, as I am now, I fully support that also. And the reason I support both is that someone in rural OMAC in Washington state, they may not feel comfortable if their friend Jan, who's like a longtime hippie from the 60s, says to them, you know, let's, let's go marry out to the woods and pick some mushrooms and just go trip and so forth. You know, the, the lady may not feel like doing that. She may want to do it in a setting with like a therapist and with a doctor on site. And I think it's really important that all of us respect one another with that. Um, you know, when I first got into uh, entheogens and the power of entheogens, you know, I had a long history of working with the Native American community in Washington state, you know, and I wanted to go to the tribes and be like, oh my God, you guys, you should be using these plant medicines. Like they don't know, right? They, they've been using these plant medicines since the dawn of time, but to go to them and be like, instead of these 12 step that I had seen forced on them working at Seattle Indian Health Board, that wasn't working for these folks, right? And, and they still were lost and they still were stuck. I thought, let's talk about, you know, this other route, this natural healing route. But I think there's such a history there of colonization, of having come to those communities and said, you can't do your medicines. We're going to kill you if you do your medicines. We're going to steal your children if you're doing your medicines. That to go in now and be like, oh, by the way, we're wrong. You know, don't do that stuff we enforced on you for the last 500 years. Whoops. <laughs> did we kill a few of your people? You know, did we slaughter your families? Whoops. You know, there's so much baggage with that, that I really feel like now I've had to be more humble and kind of step back and be like, that's actually not my conversation necessarily to have. I am a small part Native American, but like, it's not really my conversation to have with the local tribes, but we have a lot of Native people that we are trying to support and they're having to fight their own um, challenges there, right? The, the stereotypes about drugs that have been part of that colonization message. So they don't always get treated kindly in their communities for going to their communities and suggesting drugs, right? But it's very powerful to see slowly that inroads are being made there and that they're making them, right? And that's one thing that Entheo Society is trying to do is set up a, a healing retreat for Native people to be working with Native people without any um, Caucasian people there, specifically working on historical trauma with plant medicine. That so is, I, yeah. that is that, that's amazing, Leo, uh, for a lot of different reasons. One is just the sadness in all of it, and particularly here in this country, and that the disconnect is felt and is generational um, within Native American communities to something that they used for centuries. And um, as you point out, uh, we're told is wrong, bad, don't do that. Here's this 12 step and that's not supporting them either. And now they've got to rework in their own mind, in their own communities to go back to what was naturally there to begin with. Yeah, it's it's very it's deep, it's powerful, and and it's um, 
it's uh, like some, there's some tough emotion there, you know? Did you know that beyond this podcast that I help busy entrepreneurs, storytellers, artists, creatives, and healers who might be feeling a little bit bored and burnt out and trying to figure out what to do next and what's my purpose in life, really find those answers? How? Oh, I say it's through shifting. It's just a matter of shifting your vibration and your frequency to higher states of consciousness and awareness in order to find the answers and live the life that we truly desire to live. So if you want to become a deliberate conscious creator who is enjoying the creations and the manifestations that you are experiencing in life, then I invite you to be a part of a very special five-week intensive. You can get all the details at dariuth.com forward slash shift to learn more. You can experience wholeness, personal freedom, expanded states of creativity, confidence and flow while achieving your goals and flourishing in your unique gifts and talents. After this podcast episode, please head over to dariath.com forward slash shift to learn more about it. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I'm sure for you that that um, being able to work so closely and to know it intimately also brings up um, the, the sadness around that. Um, to, however, consider what is happening, and maybe you can shed some light on it. Are we seeing more um, Native American uh, communities um, returning to their use of uh, peyote and any of the other um, plant medicines that were so culturally indoctrinated in their in their lineage? Sure. So we did a twenty, not a twenty-four hour. We did a um, the the world's first microdose mushroom sit-in in downtown Seattle a couple months back. We had between two hundred to three hundred people. That was with the Libertarian Party of Washington State and Entheo Society, but we had um, multiple Indigenous and Native um, American speakers. Um, that spoke about plant medicine that are speaking there on the streets of Seattle, where there's a large disproportionate amount of Native Americans that are on the streets who are currently suffering. I'm not sure that many of them were able to hear the message, you know, in the downtown kind of corridor where there's a lot of drug use. But um, still, there's that visual, right, of Native American people up there on stage and controlling the conversation and leading the conversation. That's very powerful. You know, images are very powerful. And then, um, you know, the fact that we're doing that retreat for, for Native people to be helping Native people, um, you know, I post that in different communities. It's not always well received. You know, a lot of these Native communities, they they tout the well-briety movement. They tout the Red Road movement, you know. And so, um, you know, it's really kind of touch and go. But I do see uh, my friend Solana Booth is now the co-board uh, chair of APA, the American Psychological like Practice Association or what have you, which is kind of setting the standards um, for what psychedelic care is going to look like in terms of standardization. Um, so I think you're, you are seeing more people that are standing up that are more from the community. You know what I mean? Um, recently, when I did the 24-hour women's storytelling event, uh, one of the women wasn't able to make it, but we had several other Indigenous women that spoke about their stories. And um, and there is a guy here in the Pacific Northwest, Ruben George. He's a um, 
a First Nations man, and he is basically saying, you know, F you to the BC government, and he's moving ahead on his reserve to offer plant medicines for people. Um, so I, I think you see people standing up in different ways that, that you hadn't seen before in terms of Native people standing up and leading. I was a part of that. Thank you for that invitation uh, so that I could discuss the the filming of the documentary, The Way of a Healer. And um, what a fabulous 24 hours. I mean, I, I, just, I couldn't I couldn't get away from it. It was like, because it was streaming on YouTube and I had like three Christmas parties to go to. I was, you know, busy just like listening when I could and really like really hearing the stories. And you pointed out earlier that storytelling is activism. And um, it's certainly at the center of all that I do and all that I have done. And so you can really feel the power of that when people just use their voice and they just speak. And beyond that and beyond hearing that, I believe what also could be felt by those that participated was this, this banning together, right? Like this, this, I'm not alone. It's not just me. I'm not facing all of the things and there are various different things that could be faced within this, this psychedelics, uh, these psychedelics communities to, to hear women of that and to know that maybe they've made connections and they'll have coffee together and talk and, and support is, was so beautiful to witness. So thank you for putting that on. Right on. No, I, I love it. I love the power of, of seeing people congregate and, and their natural connections with one another. The synchronicity of that is very beautiful to me. Yeah. Beyond uh, watching people connect and the synchronicity and certainly having the heart to do this work, and particularly with those in mental health and those in Indigenous and Native American communities. Why do you do this? You know, for 20 years, I worked in mental health and chemical dependency and foster care, and um, and you name it, I did it. Family treatment court, Indian child welfare, cultural-based counseling. Um, and, you know, I had done... Um, some earlier studies when I was in college of living with a Garifuna man in Belize in the bush. And it's like, I had always had this interest in, um, you know, we had lived abroad in India when I was a kid and I, I just kind of gotten very exposed to other cultures when I was a kid. So I, I always had an interest in other cultures, but I think the plant medicine, um, has a has a certain call to it and I think those who feel that call they they know what I'm talking about and so I think even then when I was living in the bush with uh, Mr. Palacio like I did I think even then even though we weren't doing psychedelics per se we were studying plant medicine still in the jungle I felt even then looking back that I felt this call right and so I think, how do you balance that call with modern day culture, which is so disconnected from that plant medicine world? Like we live, especially in the United States, in such a fast paced society. You know, when you travel outside the U.S., you get a sense of like other cultures that take time for their families or for their souls, you know, that get weary and so forth. Maybe not Japan, but you get to the U.S. and it's just like, go, go, go. And I'm tough and I can take it. And, you know, and I've got lots of like uh, energy drinks, you know, um, and I saw so much dysfunction in my own work and that I wasn't actually making that much difference. I was putting on band-aids for most of my career, if I'm really honest with myself. Right. And all of us have limited times in these vehicles, you know, that we're in. And so if you're in this vehicle for 100 years, let's say if you're lucky, right, 
um, you know, that's 20 years that I dedicated of my adult life to things that didn't, you know, do much difference, right? And so I think with the second half of my life, in a sense, right, in terms of my career life, um, or the second half of my career, I really wanted to challenge myself to do something that actually will make a difference. So I had to step out of my comfort zone. And, and if you've worked for the government, it's really hard to step away from that. You know what I mean? There's a certain comfort to like this steady paycheck. And when you call someplace, they pay attention, right? You get to go into jails, you get to go into prisons, you get to go into mental hospitals, you get to go into people's homes and interview children, right? So you have all this authority, you get to work with police officers, right? And now I'm, I'm working for drug legalization and I think I'm on the wrong kind of list, you know, like I'm on the list for like being like a troublemaker, like I get stopped at the border for weird searches and I'm like, oh my God, why am I on some list, you know, and I'm like, duh, you're leading a, you know, decriminalization or legalization movement. So it's a different, you're giving up a lot of power and authority on a dream and on an ambition to potentially make a long-term impact to the world. And I think um, that called my spirit. I didn't want to go to my grave without trying. Mm, that's deep. That is, that's conviction. Uh, it's conviction in the fact that you um, risk your own uh, safety and um, freedom um, and then you also stepped away from a system that you knew was not really serving you or people and really standing in your power and your conviction to believe in what, what you feel is right. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. Um, and thank you, because I think it does take acts of courage, uh, particularly when, when you can't even like explain it, you just know it. Like there's a knowing and there's a trusting and you move. And interestingly, I always think that the, the messages that come through with plant medicines and psychedelics are in that kind of space. It's not really concrete, but there's a knowing. <laughs> Deep knowing. Yeah. I have a lot of, a lot of um, thoughts on that, but I think a lot of it is as a culture, I think we're very disconnected from spirit, you know, and I think a lot of that spirit is stuff that we tell ourselves um, is, is not part of us, but we have an aching for it, you know, we have an aching for it. And when we experience it, we feel so uh, refreshed or calmed or rejuvenated or healed. And yet I think we are, we are kind of at a war, a cultural war with that kind of energy. So whether we're at a cultural war for letting the feminine kind of lead more and, and because we've been kind of um, as a society kind of stuck because we haven't allowed the, the female lead to also like the female step to go forward. Like we've done like two steps forward with the men, but we didn't do those steps with the women's feet, you know? And so to be kind of balanced as a culture, I think we're just kind of in this war between the spirit and the the pragmatic, if you will, but, but I think that they both can support one another. What is your relationship with spirit? Well, I mean, um, I feel like sometimes I'm on a phone call with, with Hashem and sometimes it doesn't feel like the reception is very good and I get uh, frustrated and I bang the phone on the table and I say, well, you know, screw you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe that there's a deity outside myself that I'm communicating with. Um, I do sometimes wonder as far as the plant medicines, I feel like each one has its own unique energy and own unique uh, personality. And so it's fascinating to me whether these are like lower deities and then like Hashem or God is like the bigger deity 
and it ultimately it really doesn't matter to me because it all feels good, right? It all feels like benevolent and kind and like this is someone that's on our side, you know? They may be the the tough Saturnian uh, instructor at times, right? That has to give us a hard lesson, right? We may have karma or dharma from another lifetime that we have to deal with regardless that no one can save us from, you know, we brought to our own uh, plate. But I, I do, um, I think, having a doubt in our spiritual experience is okay and so i think i flip between agnostic agnostic uh sentiment and also having these concrete experiences with uh being given messages that i feel like are from an intelligence outside myself and i certainly believe that the plant medicines uh, have their own intelligence which i don't think as a culture we really are ready to kind of grapple with you know you talk about all this consumerism as far as like building this business model around psychedelics but how do we culturally grapple with the fact that you're dealing with these intelligent entities like i think that 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 far surpasses like what i would say is most humans capacity to encompass in their consciousness and it is tough to encompass that i mean first off we're we're asking people to to believe that this fun guy <laughs> this mushroom is like some ancient technology and you're going to take it and while most people would say oh you're just tripping you're getting high not realizing what level of information and expansion uh, and awareness people often come to uh, with use of of mushrooms and any of the other plant medicines. And yes, like you, I certainly believe they each communicate differently. They each open up different gateways and uh, expanded realms of consciousness uh, and are here to do some really relevant work in this time. And yet there's this desire from people to figure out, oh, so how do we drop this into an economic model and make this work? And that it's a very, very interesting dynamic that you point out. Well, and we didn't have to go there with cannabis. Like, I mean, there are these churches and I, I do, um, I ended up at a Rastafarian commune at one point in my life. So like, I get that there's a spiritual component to cannabis. I do, but I don't believe it's the same kind of entity download, what have you, as far as talking to an intelligence that feels godlike. I don't, I don't think that that, uh, so I think with the cannabis industry, you didn't have to grapple with the same kind of philosophical shift for a culture or society to make. Yeah. I, and I would agree with you on that too. And the other thing is that I, I also get the sense that cannabis has been bastardized. Like it just, um, you know, has its way and its place in the plant um, hierarchy, if there is such a thing. <laughs> uh, and yet it got out the gate first, right? And and being so misunderstood. And so um, by those that are using it, and certainly most of the public who just doesn't understand it, it's it's it can can rarely be compared um, to really what others find when they are with other um, entheogens. And yet, that's okay too, because when you start creating creating that division, then it makes it hard for for all of it to be mutually accepted. In in my opinion, yeah, I do. It's interesting because cannabis. Um, we were recently talking about what happened in Colorado as far as the um, the initiative that passed in Colorado, which decriminalized entheogens, but it legalized psilocybin. Um, and so we, our ADAPT initiative is now um, taking that on, is taking on the same, basically the same uh, 
protocol of, of decriminalizing entheogens. So extending our current initiative to include the decriminalization of entheogens. And we were talking about it and someone was like, well, why can't we include cannabis, right? Because they, they legalized cannabis in Washington state, but they did not legalize growing cannabis. They did not legalize like growing your own medicine, right? They legalized only being able to go and consume it from a store, which then benefits the business person. Right. And it doesn't allow a pathway for people who maybe who don't have money to buy it from a store. Right. Maybe they needed to grow their own medicine because they're poor. So it's really discriminatory. Right. And so we were talking about, well, what would it mean? It, it seemed like a no brainer. Well, include cannabis, which has already been legalized in our in our decriminalization of entheogens. Right. But because cannabis is such a moneymaker. Right such a moneymaker and there's so many uh, different organizations that will come against you when you're like lobbyists, that kind of thing, to stop an initiative from getting the support it needs because the those that are making money off the cannabis movement really don't want to see that um, decriminalized in that way. It, it was kind of like a wake up call for me because I, I thought we were kind of, you know, zooming ahead down the highway and I was like, oh, let's go back and pick up little brother that we left, you know, behind since we're, you know, getting the big van, you know, <laughs> we're adding more, more of our friends and we can't pick up little brother cannabis because, you know, the politics are so dicey and that bums me out, you know? Yeah. So, so for people who don't really know the difference or the understanding of like, what is the difference between legalization and decriminalization, why they're not the same and whether or not they need to be in collaborative efforts. So it's interesting. Um, so I led the decrim effort here in Seattle and um, that eventually succeeded. And that effort uh, decriminalizes entheogens, specifically ayahuasca, psilocybin, and ibogaine. Um, and hopefully your viewers are familiar with those three medicines. But those three medicines were decriminalized. And so what that means is we can't sell them. So you could still be prosecuted for selling them. So unless you want to offer an economic model, in some ways, it's, it's quite meaningless to decriminalize, but it is a step forward. Um, because, you know, we could put further pressure on the city to come up with the economic model that allows people to do like a, a trade or a bartering and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, as of right now, um, legalization is not uh, is not active or true for Washington State, but legalization allows you to just like legalizing cannabis allow Washington State uh, residents to util you know utilize cannabis if you're over 21. Um, so it'd be a similar model for psilocybin, except you go to a psilocybin service center. Um, and you'd go and it would be very similar to what happened with 109 in Oregon and you'd go and you'd meet with a facilitator and kind of get screened and if you had any, you know, um, active psychosis and things like that you would be screened out, but then you would uh, go and do your session and then you'd go and come back and do like a review session to see to process and integrate. And that kind of thing. So that's what's rolling out in Oregon. Now that never makes it federally legal. So what people need to understand is that even in Oregon or Colorado, it's still federally illegal. So at any point, if the feds want to come in and make a really strong message, they can, which is they can shut down these dispensaries. Do you know what I mean? Are these these service centers? They can do that kind of thing. Because you're talking about individual states making making their own laws, and um, and this is in contradiction to the federal laws. Um, but if you look at the history of cannabis, for the most part, you've just seen the feds go, okay, we're just going to ignore this. Yeah, well, and particularly in places like Detroit, Michigan, where there is a dispensary on every other corner uh, for cannabis, 
Um, and, you know, depending on, of course, in certain places in Michigan, um, decriminalization of uh, the use of psilocybin. Um, and, and yet, you know, I don't know what commercialization is going to look like um, for psilocybin and various things that people will be able to walk into dispensaries to, to put their hands on. And yet, um, there's there's a, a growing group of people who are like, well, you know what? I can just grow it at home. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, it's, it's it, you know, and so that debate is always there, right? And commercialization feels so far off beyond just decrim and legalization. It's like that next wave of what might possibly be here in the next, you know, five years or so. And, and that anticipation is growing and yet still very controversial in and of itself. Yeah, I have a therapist friend here that's working with, I think it's Compass, to doing the clinical trials here with psilocybin. So, you know, people are getting ready for legalization, but they're getting ready with that pharmaceutical model. So um, I think that's the unfortunate aspect of, of the capitalistic culture. I was going to say that takes us all the way back to the conversation we were having in the very beginning is that yeah. it, there's a sadness around that, even though there's, it's, it's like, great, it can make it more available for people, but now we drop it into the pharmaceutical model. Um, and it, it takes the spirit out. It takes all of the meaning out of it. And, and, you know, it's still, it kind of strips that side of it. And I know lots of people are challenged with that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. When you are, um, I mean, what about conversations that people have around, okay, great. Well, I, I don't know where to go, but I know I can hop a plane, go to the Amazon, go to Peru, go to Colombia. There's this entire psychedelics tourism that's underway um, where, where people are, you know, banding together and then going out and, and being in, in these uh, very indigenous communities and then coming home. I mean, what are, I have several questions to ask around that, but I just love to know your thought about that for now. Well, and I think it's interesting when you go and, and travel in some of those communities and find folks who have varying opinions there because humans have a lot of different opinions. So even in those communities, you can find like one shaman who says, I care, I want to bring this healing to people all around the world. And you can find another shaman or another, you know, indigenous like community member who says, this is horrible. This is bringing, you know, devastation to our communities. Because I think what I've learned from this work is that we don't always understand the um, the impact of our footprint, right? <clears throat> so in leading the decrim movement, I, I led the movement until the point that big money came into it, right? And so what I observed looking back, not that I blame the people who had the big money, right? Because I asked them to come, right? I asked them for their money. But it's interesting to me because I think sometimes when big money enters these small grassroots political communities, they don't realize whoever has that big money, they think they're doing us a favor, right? They're doing something to help us. They're being philanthropic, right? They're coming with good intentions maybe, right? But that we do not always understand that when we leave that village, whatever that village might look like, we're leaving our footprint, right? We're leaving our gum wrapper. We're leaving like, you know, our garbage that we left behind. We're leaving uh, we impact others. And I think that's what psychedelics teach us, right? We get very interconnected. You know, there's some very interesting studies on um, psychic development after, or like telepathy development after ayahuasca that people feel much more like uh, telepathically connected with people that they've done um, ayahuasca with. And so I think that there's a certain kind of interconnectedness that comes from these plant medicines 
where we really get more interconnected into kind of like the psychic human family, if you will, and develop kind of those receptors where we're much more telepathically connected, if you will. And then I think we begin to learn like, wow, so we do affect everyone and everyone affects us. We're all kind of smushed up against each other in this, you know, black matter space that we don't ever give precedence to, but we're all interconnected. We think there's this giant space between all of us, but we're, we're actually much more close than we realize. So with that comes, you know, intimacy. And I think we're a culture that really struggles with intimacy. You know, we live in this zoom culture after COVID. I think, um, our next event with Entheo Society is Let's Talk, a look at conflict in the plant medicine uh, movement for 24 hours, January 14th. But a lot of that is going to be looking at how do we handle conflict, especially with like Zoom culture, which might be that you, you know, you say, I don't like this person, or I'm in love with this person, or this person is my best friend. But sometimes we don't know one another. Like we haven't sat with someone. We're not like a slow culture movement. We're not sitting down and playing checkers with somebody. We're not going in and meeting someone in person and doing plant medicine with them and just breathing with them in the same room. So I think we we are very quick to say, oh, I found a community in Peru in this indigenous Amazon, you know, and well, you know, is that your community? Um, when I was living in Belize, I, I thought about starting this uh, Garifuna. Um, it was like a, a center to help the young Garifuna retain their Garifuna ways, right? And so here I was a white woman in the jungle with, you know, good intentions. And I was like working on starting this board at 24. And I got to meet with the secretary of the prime minister of Belize, right? So I remember meeting with him and he was this long dreadheaded guy. And he asked me about my roots and he said, well, where are your roots, right? And I think this, the question he was asking me is like, you know, where is your home and where is your community? Um, and I think for all of us, we live in such a transient culture and especially in the cities um, that I think we become very careless with one another because we don't have a sense of rootedness. So I think a lot of times what these people are doing when they're going to Peru and so forth is they're looking for a piece of that culture, right? Cultures that probably have a sense of rootedness. And they want that rootedness, right? They may not put a name to it. They may think they're asking for the psychedelic experience, but I would also posit that they are looking for a sense of rootedness because there's a lot of lost souls out here. So I would then say to the, to the larger community is how do we become less lost? Yeah, and do you really need to go to Peru to find your roots, right? Um, and and when you do go, you know, because I think my where I'm most concerned is reciprocity and um, really having reverence for the the people and the place and and when when we're there, right? And not just trampling in and you know drinking ayahuasca and trampling back out, but really paying homage to to people that aren't necessarily asking for it, but at the veracity that I think people are coming in, it's like over a period of time, this could do damage. I mean, look at look at uh, Sabina, Maria Sabina, and you know what happened early um, in when people discovered mushrooms in, in Mexico. So that that's always like at the back of my head. And yet I get it. Like you, you can't, you have to really find places in the U.S. underground, no doubt, in order to experience this and or, um, you know, going to places just outside of the country that um, would allow people access from a legal standpoint, which which matters. It absolutely matters. But then also really being careful about where you are and the considerations around reciprocity and, and allowing allowing us to come and go without leaving heavy footprints. 
So all of that for me taps into the drug war, right? We have this classist and racist drug war. We have an overrepresentation of men of color in particular locked up, right, in this drug war, which is impacting disproportionately communities of color, particularly poorer communities of color. So you know this, but what I'm saying is we are feeding into this by having the drug laws be what they are right now. We are feeding into this because we are allowing these drug laws to exist, which then drive these people, primarily people who are probably white, who are probably upper class, I'm just saying the majority, who have this um, opportunity to go to these other countries but they wouldn't be doing that. So we are feeding the colonization of these other cultures or the uh, the increased, um, you know, these these cultures will be forever impacted. And we are we are contributing to that at a faster rate because of our our our, our archaic drug laws in this country. Yeah. What do you see? I mean, you know, we could go on and on and on and on. And, and I know your work will continue in this space. But if there were a way that. Um, you could wave a magic wand and in, in your world, create the world that you think is the safest, most respectable, uh, most um, um, recognizable uh, way to invite people into this space around psychedelics and plant medicine. What would that look like? So I try to go, uh, I try to come to problems from like a three or four or five pronged approach right? So I want to create a cultural revolution, right? And and you just see that it's ready to break through. And so with that, I'm doing these 24-hour events online, right? Where I'm getting people from all walks of life, very diverse. The feedback I've gotten thus far is that, you know, people haven't seen things like this before with the diversity. And so I want to show that as, you know, you're, go turn on the television, it's a very divisive culture that we're fed, right? We're saying, oh, we're told this person doesn't agree with this person, and this person's fighting with this person, this person's canceled this person. So we, we hear a lot of energy about uh, conflict when we turn on the news. So I want to put energy out there that's collective, that says we are all part of the human family. Let's all come together and respect and honor one another and listen to one another's storytelling as a form of activism. So I think in doing that, we can change things by planting those seeds, just like you're doing, right? That's a form of activism. And so I'm doing that, but I'm also um, meeting with senators. You know, I'm also trying to do other things. I'm also openly critical of President Biden. You know, I feel like he made all these claims to fight this racist drug war that he's historically contributed to. And yet I don't see him taking um, a, a strong stance with, with decriminalizing drugs. And I think um, you just have to stay active in everything that you're doing so that you are continuing to push people <clears throat> past their comfort zone, right? And what that requires is that you have to maintain your energy and your symbiosis, right? Because I, I particularly with women, they were the backbone of the psychedelic movement. They were the backbone of the um, civil rights movement, right? But they are the unsung heroes, right? Because women historically give away their labor for free. That's what they've been taught and trained to do. So the more we can see women standing up, I think that's part of the 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 mix is part of the alchemy is is women standing up and supporting one another they don't have to always agree but just to create space for for more women to lead i think at a certain point we're going to have a breaking point you know what i mean i i see civil unrest you know in this in this country's future the divide between the rich and the poor 
So I think historically, if we look at this time in human history, it's it's the time of the French, you know, the French guillotine. You know, I I think we're in a time where people are going to rise up and they're going to ask for more because we're not seeing fast enough improvements in our local legislation, um, in our communities, in our towns, in our cities that really reflects where people are at. Yeah. So it, that's really interesting. And, and just to kind of dovetail off of that, I know that um, the past you've talked about the challenges that white women have in learning to come into their power under this, you know, plantation model economic system. And like, what is that? And and how how do you see that impacting where we are? And what changes, in your opinion, um, need to be made? Well, it's interesting because I always like to look to see, well, what's missing, right? Like we don't have an Asian woman that's leading us as president, like different things. So you're like, oh, well, we certainly need an Asian woman to be leading us as president. We certainly need an African-American woman and a, you know, immigrant, a family, you know, for someone from an immigrant background and so forth. But when I think about white women and the plantation model as our first economic system in the United States and still like, obviously still the remnants of, right? I see that there's like division, right? Where we keep like the white woman away from other people on the plantation who are suffering, namely slaves, in the, in the same kind of uh, like below the white man way, right? That you don't want these people rallying together. You mentioned the, the energy of the 24 hour women's event. And I think it's when like everyone on the plantation who is affected in a negative way by that plantation culture, and, and that could be our culture that now exists today, but can we come together and rise up and support one another, right? Um, and so when I think about white women, I'm like, oh, well, when they look out at the political landscape, you know, Darius, where, what are they seeing for an image that looks like them as far as like a liberal white woman leading? And it's not Pelosi and it's not Warren, right? And when I think about women that I'm excited about, like, um, I think about, uh, you know, uh, Nina, what's her face? I'm spacing on her last name. Um, that was with uh, the, she was the rep representative from Ohio, I believe. Um, and uh, AOC, you know, for me, these women are very strong and very progressive and, you know, but as far as like a liberal white uh, political leader, that's like a household name. I see like Ellen on like the talk show, right? But again, she's a gay woman. I'm thinking more of like a straight white woman. We really don't see a white woman that is leading in that way. And I think it's because if we think back to the plantation model, the white woman is in the house and we're protecting her femininity. I think in a way that we haven't protected black women's femininity and um, the, the sanctity of the white woman. I think we're still caught up in that. And so we don't let the white women lead in that way, except in the Republican party. And for me, in a lot of ways, that's just kind of like, uh, like you're just a stand in for these same standards that don't necessarily serve you as a woman, but yet you, I think these white women are going there. Cause I've been looking at like research on like why white women are, are voting more Republican. And I was like, well, they're seeing all these kind of like feisty white women, like fighters in the in the, not psychedelic movement, in the Republican movement. And I'm like, well, maybe that's because they want to see representation. And I'm like, well, where are the feisty white women leaders in the, in the Democrat movement? And I'm like, oh, interesting. So can we take the white woman out of the house? Can we take her out of the plantation and get her out there? One thing my astrologer said that I thought was very interesting was she said, as women come into power, I think regardless of race, as women come into power, they're going to come into power awkwardly because they haven't had it for a couple millennia. 
And mm -hmm. she said, where we're struggling as a culture is letting women make those mistakes. Because I feel like the way we rip apart women in politics, we're like, oh, she made a mistake. Okay, let's get out the knives, you know, let's kill her. And it's like, but we're much more accommodating with men. And so when my astrologer mentioned like women are coming awkwardly into this power, it was like, oh, so we should be gentle with them or forgiving or understanding of that instead of being like, it's a witch hunt, we're out to get her. So, um, so I just think women in particular need uh, mentorship and they need uh, stewardship. And when I look, I watch Bloomberg a lot. And when they talk about women getting less money for like for venture capitalism efforts or for filmmaking and things like that, like 2% or 3% of what men get. So men are dominating at like 97% or something. I'm always like, wow, like those numbers really tell you a story, right? And it's not a very good one. Um, so I think that's that's where I see a lot of work in the next 20 years is seeing all types of women leading, but getting that white woman out of the house so that um, there are liberal white women heroes in the political movement that are there to support all people, right, that are there as leaders, but that we're not keeping them in the house because otherwise we were, are going to lose that white female demographic to the Republican party. Not all of them, but like, yeah. <laughs> cause they got Sarah Palin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Interesting. Um, we'll just flip the script on this one and uh, I'll get out of politics and, and turn it back to our conversation about um, psychedelics and what you also see um, needing to happen is a um, is is really a movement of of feminism within um, the psychedelics community. Uh, I'm more of an, a um, a feminist, eth um, entheogenic uh, rise up, so to speak. Yep. Yep. So entheogenic feminism is the next wave of feminism, and it's a feminism for everyone, but it's a feminism that really incorporates the female energy of the plant medicine spirits and recognizes and honors that the women and what they're here to do. So the priestess woman, the bruja, the witch, you know, all these women that we've kind of killed and told to hide in the shadows for hundreds of years, because what's interesting about psychedelics is you know, not since MLK Jr. or Malcolm X have we had spiritual leaders that were political, right? And when you think back to the 60s, that's the last time we had access to psychedelics as a culture. So I think it's really interesting that we are now going to see, that's my, my you know, I foresee, uh, we are going to see spiritual political leaders as you see psychedelics go mainstream. Um, because even if MLK Jr. and uh, Malcolm X were not like taking psychedelics, they were part of a time when psychedelics were there and, and were part of, of the social fabric, if you will. Well, and they also were, were very spiritual in their leadership in various right. different faiths, but still right. very spiritual. And Extremely. Yeah, Extremely that, that, spiritual. Yeah, that heralded um, um, the benchmark of, of their precedence in, in leadership is that they were able to do. And we've seen, you know, since then, people kind of taper away from their own um, spirituality, um, whether in politics or or business or what have you. And 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 we've stepped away from that. But as 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 what I believe part of the message, and this is actually a question that I'll ask for you, is like, what is the message that these plants are really trying to, to, to share with us and, and are here to teach us. That's so interesting that you say that because I had a post-it note to remind me of any of if I was going to share anything and I've lost it. But um, oh, here it is. Picture a future space society. 
Um, so when we picture a sci-fi novel and we're going to Mars with Elon Musk and so forth, we find out that, oh, lo and behold, these plant medicines are intelligent and they came to our Earth on purpose on an asteroid or do you know what I mean? That they have a greater consciousness and we find a temple to them on another planet. Do you know what I mean? And it shifts our whole history of what we think like Christianity is or other religions and so forth, because now we have to come to terms with the fact that there are other galaxies or other, you know, cultures that came before us and died before us on other planets. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like the plant medicine transcends time. So if we were to understand that we, I mean, I don't know if you believe in reincarnation, but um, having lived in India, I really have this, you know, belief that we come back, right? And if we come back, then are we now talking about seeing ourselves as as multiple, you know, you have people now in Seattle who talk about that they're multi-gender or they're intersex, or you can't keep track. Sometimes they're changing it by the week, you know? But it's all beautiful. But I, I can see the next wave is going to be people saying, oh, I'm I'm um, I have got this past life and this past life and so forth. Are we then more accepting of that? Because we're like, oh, actually, we found out that we the soul is eternal, you know. And so I think the plant medicine is here to say what really matters. Treat each other kindly. Love yourself. You are loved. You know, all things that I think people have been talking about since the dawn of time as far as religious uh, messages, not the ones that told us to kill, you know, indigenous people, not those religious messages, but all the good religious messages. I think those messages came from plant medicines. It's a really interesting conversation, particularly as I've talked with so many people in this space and this this intersection between science, spirituality, the plants, timing, paradigm shifts, like all of it, and and how we're also at this space where we have the freedom to define ourselves in multi, a multitude of different ways. I mean, yeah, you'll have people talking about being multidimensional and um, who they are from this light galaxy and this time and space and, you know, how they sat with the Mayans. And so, and, and it's in that, that discovery that, that, that I believe plants allow us to get into without, they, they take us into these realms that uncover these things that we get to come back and there's no real grounding or space. You know, it's not like everybody in your community is having these conversations, but when you find them and you realize like in that there is some, some coincidence in the messaging and at the core, everyone usually says it's love it's love and love is everything and it's universal and it's oneness and it's it's it is acceptance and non-judgment and all the things that we define as love but like if the central theme is that then there is freedom and freedom of expression that also gets to emanate from this frequency of love and it's it's really beautiful to see that um, in various different parts of the world so um, one thing that I think is uh, worth noting is that I think the plant medicine spirit is here to tell us that you have enough as you are, um, that you're not incomplete. And I think the first message that we are taught in this culture is that you're incomplete. You know, Sally over here has the nice handbag. Jenny over here has the nice husband. You know, we're incomplete. We need this new pill. We need this new house. We need this new job. So this culture kind of thrives on you're incomplete. So to have a plant medicine, I mean, that's very dangerous for the masses to feel like they're complete, right? They're complete. And then not only are they complete, but 
um, there's enough for everyone. So another thing they tell us from the beginning of our consciousness is they really embed within us the sense of scarcity, that mm. there's not enough for everyone. You better watch out for yourself. We live in a very protected, we, you know, we had these Instagrams and these Facebooks and whatever that seem very like exposing, right? But we live in a very protected society where we're often caught up in, in protecting ourselves, right? And, and that it's hard, I think, to live like that. And I think the plant medicines say it's okay to be your authentic self. It's okay. And no one can hurt you. They're going to tell you they can hurt you, but no one can take away you from you. Right. And I told my husband the other day, I said, I feel like uh, we're floating through space and we have like a power ball in each palm. Like, you know, how people talk about the power of the palm and the power of your hands and they read the palms for, for, you know, finding out about your past lives. And I said, I feel like we're floating through space and we have these power balls and we can lob them at people in kind ways. We can give ourselves love with the power balls. We can, we can jettison around in our, you know, in our galaxy, but we get told when we enter this life that we don't have those power balls in our hands. Right. But I think the plant medicine reminds you like, you've got this, you've got, look down, you, you've got this in your hands. You can love yourself with it or you can give love to someone else. It's great. You've got these power balls in your hands. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love the Powerball analogy. <laughs> it's silly. It's silly. I know, but it just, I just picture myself in a space shoot with these Powerballs and I just get to like, and I can send love with them and I can. <laughs> and what would be wrong with that? Right. Well, oh, and I just, and that? then we, and then we meet people from other past lives and we're like, oh, you again. And we're out here in space and we're like, Hey, do you want to go hang on that planet? We can hang for a lifetime, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you in closing um, to give to give some feedback and some reflection. The title of this series is The Way of the Healer. And no doubt the work that you're doing is healing. And while um, you're not serving medicine, um, you're still the medicine producing um, some form of healing in the communities that you serve. So as you think about yourself with this question, what is the meaning of the way of the healer? What is the meaning of the way of you and how you be? Um, well, that's uh, beautiful because when I think of that, I think of woundedness, right? And so for so much of my life, I think I was caught up in protecting my woundedness. And then when I got into leading in, in the decrim movement, I felt like I was trying to lead like a man. I was trying to lead in ways that I had been taught this is what power looks like. And it took me a minute to realize like, no, I kind of want to lead more collectively or more cyclically and kind of like and own a different path, which isn't a different path. It's just like, I think a more feminine path. Um, and I felt like in the initial parts of leading, I was leading politically from a place of wanting to apologize for being wounded, right? As it and hide away that part of me. And then what I recognize is, you know, we're kind of all wounded, right? So what does it mean to lead from a place of acknowledging your woundedness, right? And I think the way of the healer is the way of of the wounded, right? To be okay with being wounded and you know you may never resolve these wounds and I think it's the western patriarchal linear culture that tells you like life's an arrow and you have to get to the solution right and a more circular kind of like sitting in the mush viewpoint a more feminine perspective more buddhist perspective is you know you may never heal because it's not about an end goal right we are always in a process of healing and we are dying and as we're dying we're healing so 
So I think my biggest work and your biggest work is similar in that even though I'm trying to lead politically, I'm conscious of trying to lead in new ways that allow me to be human, right? And so I've seen so many women burn themselves out and, you know, get taken down by other women, get taken down by men, whatever. And I see them kind of crumble and, and fall. And I saw that happen with my mom. She was in a male dominated industry. And I saw that with her. And I just think, well, what is it? It's interesting when women press pause. I think that there's a power to women pressing pause, right? Because you're demonstrating to others how to heal, right? By your own healing. And so when we teach women as leaders that they can press pause, they can say, you know, we're not doing meetings for two weeks, right? And so I think it's very revolutionary for women to practice self-care because it it really, it shows ownership of your own power, right? That says my power is precious and it needs to take a nap or it needs to go play. So piss off. <laughs> so that's, I think, I think that's the way of the healer is, is the way of being wounded, but being wounded with joy mm, that, that you can, that you can lead and be human, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we'll never get it done and you know, it's always moving. So yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for this time together. What a powerful uh, conversation for change, several conversations uh, for change. You'll be able to get uh, all the links and ways that you can connect with Leo um, as part of the show notes for this podcast, as well as on the website and on the YouTube channel. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel. Don't forget to hit the notification bell so that you can be notified about all the upcoming episodes uh, as part of this series. Leo, thank you so very much. And thank you so very much for leading and inspiring and doing the work that you do. Thank you. Did you know this podcast is a part of an even larger docu-series? Yep, there is an entire documentary underway called The Way of the Healer, where I introduce you to extraordinary women from around the world who are transforming lives with the use of plant medicine and psychedelics. You can learn more about it at thewayofthehealer.com. Thanks for being a part of my day and for listening. Be sure to check out the website, thewayofthehealer.com, for more details, useful tools and links, free resources, and more. Disclaimer, the Way of the Healer Conversation for Change podcast and its host and guests are providing this information for educational purposes only. We do not condone nor condemn the selling, purchase, or use of any substances that are considered outside of legal acquisition or usage. We encourage discretion and safety when involving yourself or others with substances and activities that are deemed illegal by your official local government laws and agencies. It is your responsibility to research and know applicable laws.